Hi guys, welcome to the original Judo Podcast. Today we are finally getting down to the real business. We are talking heavyweight judo, okay? None of this nonsense, Nambi, Pambi, lightweights, dodging off throws, throwing their, breaking their necks to get off things. We're talking about the real guys. And I am delighted to welcome big Lee Calder and big Ian Oliver to the show. How are you doing, guys? Good, good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, James. Thanks, thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you. No, you're welcome. Um, so, Lee, you're returning to the show. Few weeks after, no, after no, the is. success, how successful, the most successful judo podcast that's ever been. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's up there. It is up there. <laughs> I think I had four or five listeners for that one. <laughs> that's my um, mum, my dad, my brother. <laughs> Yeah, I listened. It was a good listen, very good listen. But you've you finally made it to the big time. How does that feel? Yeah, um, I was a little bit worried about the Zoom session if it could actually fit me and Leon uh, on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Only just as well, and I've got a quite a, light, a, a wide laptop. So um, yeah, just just about. I feel sorry for you being at the bottom, Joe. <laughs> I'm actually quite lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, my camera's set up and right at the top, so uh, well, that's all good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Lee, you came on a couple of weeks ago. Could you remind us about your career in judo and then, yeah, what you're doing now? Um, oh, started judo, felt like what feels like hundreds of years ago now, um, training. Just in a club, moved to the Edinburgh club with Billy, started doing judo a bit more serious and a bit more um, full-time as full-time could be then. And then won the Scottish a couple of times, but over and above that, success probably came as a coach rather than a player, which uh, I made a decision that I quite enjoyed the coaching side of it and didn't really enjoy the the, the competing side of it that much. I, st- I did love the competing, loved, loved the fight, but... Just the stresses and the trials and tribulations that it in was getting too hard. So I decided to become a coach, um, help out with the heavyweights in Britain and the Irish Judo Association's coach, as well as for the juniors and cadets, as well as running my own club up in Scotland as well. Awesome. How about yourself, Ian? Um, everyone yeah. know about the Rycroft Renegades? Yes, all about the Rycroft Renegades. Um, started judo when I was eight, actually. Um, my dad took me to my first judo my dad had done judo uh, before he got to like a blue belt or a brown belt and uh, yeah he kind of took me to my first judo session um, and yeah kind of carried on through there as you normally do you, you do your club events and around the area around um, like North Nottingham and, and, and Derby there was quite a few clubs so kind of going every weekend as you would do to your, to your kind of county kind of judo uh, tournaments and then moved into uh, national uh, events with the Midland area, the mighty Midland area, as you're a, a, a proud partner of uh, the Midlands as well, James. Um, and yeah, cadet, cadet nationals, you know, fought there, um, went on to junior, uh, was quite successful as a junior. And then around 2001, 2002, I snapped my ACL in, in a tournament in France. And, and that was pretty, pretty much it, really. It was a bit downhill from there. My, my dad emigrated to Australia, which meant that I needed to go and start kind of earning and, 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 and earning a, a living, really. 
buy my first house and yeah, just kind of got into the, the, that, you know, trying to support yourself as, a, you know, somebody who's, who's a house owner. Uh, so judo took a bit of a back step. And then uh, as many people do, they, they kind of find themselves back. I was back at Rycroft um, and wanted to help Tony with, with the coaching there. And yeah, it kind of, kind of led me into kind of building the numbers at the club. And then kind of started working with the England programme. So we had a, a few players that were on the England programme. And then kind of moved and uh, started working with some of the junior GB athletes. Um, and then working with the heavyweight uh, uh, GB athletes as well. Um, and then I just took some time away uh, to kind of refocus on myself and my family. Because uh, as you all know, judo takes up a, a lot of your time. And I had a son, Thomas, who's uh, he's coming on to nine years old. And uh, just spending time with him and, and the wife and, um, and working as well. Just changed jobs um, about two, two and a half years ago. So trying to you know, make that successful as well. So Good job. So uh, we've got you on to talk about heavyweight judo. Are you both involved or have you both been involved loosely with the, the heavyweight squad? Is it still going? Is it still a thing? Yeah, it's it's still going. <clears throat> it's um it's kind of it's kind of formed into the EDS program now, uh, which uh, Colin, Danny, uh, and Chloe Cowan kind of head up um, uh, at the um, at British Judo. Um, so they they've kind of taken that on. It's kind of a, it's kind of amalgamated into that. Prior to that, um, British Judo kind of approached myself and Lee. Um, to try and bring um, as many heavyweights as we could together to kind of form a bit of a, um, a, a training um, a squad. Um, so me and Lee a couple of years ago kind of spearheaded that. Yeah, we just wanted, as we spoke about before, we just wanted to give the, we thought it would be a good idea to get the heavyweights, as many heavyweights as we could together as much as possible, just to show them that you're not on your own. There's more heavyweights out here than what you think and they're just spread across the country. You know, so it's just to give them an opportunity to train with bigger guys, bigger girls, and just get that mentality like that there is other people there and you're not on your own in your club. So the application the application process to be the coach on that, uh, basically they went round and uh, with a set of scales. <laughs> um, basically just found the, the two biggest guys uh, in, a, in, a, in a judo kit and said, you guys, you know, you're happy to run this? Like, Do you yeah. know a bit about heavyweight judo? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, what they've done... 50 kilos, yeah, that's fine. You're what they've done is they've got two of the biggest kits that they could find that says, right, who will fit these kits? <laughs> oh. There's only Lee and Ian, so Lee and Ian will just have to be the two guys that we use. Nobody are you, are you, you painting yourself as the Cinderella of heavyweight judo? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's intentional, no. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say it's been a hot day? What are you guys? What are you guys drinking? Just, just let me know if this is a proper heavyweight podcast. I'm, <laughs> I'm obviously on the mojito. We're not sponsored or anything like this, but I'm on the mojito. I'm on the red shape. I would have drank Copperberg, but my boys have drank them all. Copperberg left the Okay. Um, Lee, so, sorry, Lee, have you had to get a massive, bigger fridge for lockdown? I've got a double fridge. I've got two fridges. I've got a but I've now, I, yeah, I had to buy it. We've got a chest freezer outside in the garage. <laughs> I, bet that, I bet that Tesco delivery driver dread. No, no, you know, you know what? We just go buy bulk and we go to Costco. I bet he loves it. What? I bet the Tesco delivery, he has to do one run. That's it. 
the fans failed. He does one run. It's so good. And they have to set the Arctic. They have to set the Arctic. That's his name. There's nobody else left after ours. I, I started buying in bulk. You just buy in bulk. You go to, I've got a farm. I go to Costco, Booker's Cash and Carry, and that's us done here, alright? We just bought in bulk now. That's easy to do. Good job. Um, so, I love the idea of, of there being a heavyweight squad because I think I was under hundreds and it was challenging enough to find players across the country that were under 100 kilos and then it only gets more exacerbated rarer when you start going above that um what were the challenges for you guys when you were competing and then and then what are the challenges to be a heavyweight now uh, that you see as coaches the, the challenge the challenge was always to have the bodies to train with when you were training no matter what because then you went and fought a competition that was completely different so when you're fighting guys who are 81 kilos and 90 kilos, when you're fighting Ewan Burton, so when we were training, I was training with Ewan and Randy. I was lucky enough to have Vidler. Vidler, Stephen Vidler was there. So we had these guys, but then when I'm going to move a guy who's 140, 150, 160 kilos, but they don't move like these guys. So you don't do judo the same. And then you think, oh, I need to lift the pace up. And then before you know it, you're tired and they're still really, really strong. And that's when you get caught and bundled over. It's just that ineptness and understanding of how to fight your fight. You know, it's mm-hmm. that knowledge of how to fight it the more you fight it, the more you compete against For me, the more I felt you compete against three weights and their sizes, then the better it was, the better your understanding was. It's not the, um, it's not the first time that British Judo have tried to do something uh, in creating a, a training group for, for heavier athletes. I remember 1999-2000, uh, uh, Fitz and Dennis Stewart uh, brought mm-hmm. a training group together. Um, and that was, oh, yeah, I was actually at Warsaw, actually. Um, you know, and that, at that time, it was, it was a pretty good practice, actually. Um, but, you know, again, we, we, we've always seemed to have struggled to find bodies to, to practice with and, and good randoi practices. You know, national squad training, you just you normally kind of go, right, okay, heavyweights over, you know, out of sight, get away over to the edge. Uh, and you know you do your own thing over there. Um, you know, is the training is the is the training right for a heavyweight at national squad training? I'm not sure. Um, but it, it, yeah, fundamentally, it's down to bodies and not having enough bodies to to practice with. But on the other hand, now I think it's a role reversal now, especially when it comes to ONSTs at the centre. They're actually quite top heavy. It's actually heavier in the heavier weights. There's bigger guys and more bigger guys than before. I'm not saying there's enough, mm-hmm. but there's more bigger guys there. Whether there's more bigger guys turning up, you've got guys who are at the centre now. You've got three guys who are under 100 kilos. You've got Wesley who's a, who's there. You've got you've got some big guys that are that are there training full time now. You know, and there's more guys seemingly coming or seem to be appearing there. Whereas before, it was more about the middle to lightweights. Now it's about the middle to the to the heavyweights that seem to be rolling out a wee bit more. So if you if you if you compare that, sorry James, if you compare that lonely to other countries and the volume oh. that they have, they're still you know minuscule in, yeah, in I agree. Certainly the same. You know, James, yeah, you know, how many times did you get frustrated for fighting the same person six, seven times in the in the in the same round or practice or over weekend? Oh, I mean, I want to make a joke of it and go, I never had a problem with kicking someone in the leg, but. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's true. And again, I know it's it's a bigger problem for 
the bigger you get. Um, I was yeah. lucky enough to be 81s, 90s. There's plenty of bodies around them weights. But as you start to move up, the, the challenge is you, you, you're trying to be fast. You're trying to fight the same fight that the lightweight guys are doing or the middleweight guys are doing. And yeah, on a smaller scale, you go abroad and all of a sudden some horrible monster just puts two hands on you. And you're like, oh, this is different. This is, I've not, everybody's been moving. What's, where's this come from? <laughs> yeah, why, 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 why are you not, we, we, what's that stuff? Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and plus hundreds, <clears throat> there's three, there's three weight, I think there's three weight categories within the plus hundreds as well. So it's not just your plus hundred. You've got these super, super heavyweights where you're talking mm. ones, Six one seventies. You've then got the the that you know the the one forty guys who were a bit of both, you know, super strength and they've got a bit of speed. And then you've got the I don't know one fifteen to one twenty twenty fives. You know who who are you know are just under hundred players who've not dieted basically. Do is there? Is there a problem with attrition? So if you if you look at the British Championships over the last 10 or 15 years, I think maybe the junior championships, I think there's been a lot of decent size and good judo players come through the heavyweights. But you can you can look at the British Championships, the senior championships, and you can say, oh, the only ones that have come through and stayed with it. Um, Wesley, tasty. You know, and aside from that, you've you've got the the uh, is it is it Max who goes sometimes fights plus and so, no, it's Oliver Barrett who sometimes oh, fights Barrett, plus yeah. and sometimes yeah, sometimes fights under someone who you know is around that weight. But there's been a lot of big guys. Maybe the attrition is the same in the other categories. You just get more numbers, or or is it a problem at heavyweight judo? What is that? What is that? I mean, when it gets to, it depends what age you're talking about. If you're talking about going into seniors. What is that to keep them in judo? What is that to keep them in judo? You fight the British Championships and you're the British, you win the British Championships, fantastic. You're the British champion for the year, which is an achievement in, its, in, its, in itself. But there is nothing, there is, nothing, there is no reward for being a British champion. You don't get anything extra. You get a gold medal and come back down again. And I mean, that's, we, I spoke about it last night, didn't I? That mm-hmm. whereas years ago when Ian fought or other people were fighting in the British Champion, you were fighting to go fight in Paris. The goal of five, you got the, I can't remember the exact, but it was A tournaments and B tournaments. You got yeah. Paris if you got a certain tournament. You got Germany if you got if you want if you want another level. So if you're winning bronze, you got to go to Germany. If you want gold or silver or something, you got to go to Paris. You know, and so you had you had something to go for. You had something to go for as well. But then what? So what is there to, to fight in the British Championship? What is there? What is the reward to fighting in the British Championships except for being? And once you become, it's like Ian said as well, once you become that senior and you have responsibility, so take, take Neil Schofield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big deal. Great guy. Lovely guy, Neil is. Great, great trainer as well. Trains hard. Obviously does his gym work in that. You see him. He's a big built boy. He looks good. Left-handed as well. Should cause people massive problems and that. But he's got, he's got a life now. He's got, judo can't replace what he earns as a wage type of thing. So when even when me and Ian were running the squads and we'd invite him to the squad, he would have to judge that I go for a weekend at Walsall and train at Walsall with these heavyweights or that I work that weekend running all these guys and, and making myself some of the money that I'm going to, you know what I mean? So for, yeah. they're not just giving up time. They're giving up, like we were, you give up money, you give up the, that 
you know, it's, you're giving up a lot just to go and train and to be something. And to the, at the end of the day, what is the, what do you get? What will you get that type of thing? I think it's a, it's like a, a, a longevity thing. It's, um, I think a heavyweight judo guy has to probably stay in the sport a little bit longer to become established. Whether that's you know starting to take results, um, then can qualify for you know some funding. But I think there's a gap in between that. That's where we lose them. Where probably where Wesley's probably sitting right now, and hopefully he will you know he'll come out the out the other end. I think it's going to take a bit of time for him to to establish himself but he's definitely got the ability as in size thrown ability um you know to 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 be a good heavyweight very good heavyweight but it's that it's that um resilience to stay with the sport and i take my hat off to anyone who's who's done full-time judo you know that the sacrifices they have to make to stay in a sport which is sacrificing Earning a living, you know, starting families, you know, getting on the housing ladder, et cetera, et cetera. It's a tough journey. Uh, and unless you've got, you know, unless you get on the, um, you know, start to, to, to come to fruition earlier, it's going to be a tough journey. And, um, the, you know, you, you talked about, you talked about Chris Sherrington, you know, again, resilience. He had his army, um, you know, pay helping him as well and sports grants, etc. Made it a little bit easier for him. But it was his resilience uh, within that weight category that, you know, actually, you look at his career, he had a pretty good career and he took some pretty good good medals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... Um, I, I hope he listens to this because he's not going to thank you for uh, telling everyone he was in the army. <laughs> well, you know... <laughs> Well, <laughs> um, do you think it's part of it that heavyweights are like are valuable in other sports? So, like rugby is obviously a major sport in the UK, and if you're a big guy, do you get kind of driven towards that? Do you not think that rugby's changed a bit as well when you look at the stature of some of the guys who are playing the game now? They're not the big barrel-chested men that used to play it type of thing. You know, when I look at the Scottish team, if I look at the Scottish teams, I look at the Edinburgh and Glasgow teams, they're big boys, but they're not the big, heavy, barrel-chested boys that used to play. It's the likes, that it's sort of changed in Scotland for what I see from the sort of Gavin Hastings style of, of player where he's a long okay. leaner. You know, stronger, still got the ball, still got, but they're not looking for big, big guys to pack. They're looking for small, not smaller guys, but guys that they could pack the muscle on as well and take the muscle. If you look at these guys, these guys are all hench, they're walking about. But again, I think it goes back to, I mean, you could go further than that. I shared a post on Facebook about a Russian wrestling school, a school in Russia that's a wrestling school, and the guys do their schooling there and they do their wrestling in the same place. So if their guys are, their guys are training six hours of wrestling every day of the week five days a week and doing four hours of schooling, right? They've chose that lifestyle. But at the end of the week, they've done 30 hours worth of wrestling. If, if a wrestler here is only doing three sessions a week at two hours and doing six hours, they're already, every week, they're 24 more hours in front of him, technically, physically, mature, saturation-wise. And, you know what I mean? The maturation levels are always going to be in front, in front, in front. So it's like the Japanese judo players. I just think we need to get it right a bit earlier sometimes and bring them through a bit earlier and keep them in type of thing. 
You know, sometimes it's a bit too late. It's a bit too late to talk to them and say, come on, come on, this path too late. I've got a job. I need to keep this job now. I've got a car. I've got a house. I pay my mum and dad's rent. I've got a girlfriend. I can't, I can't do it anymore. You know, so keeping them in a bit earlier is a bit better. So what is the answer? How do we, how do we find or how do we keep our own Teddy, our own, you know, uh, Tushishvili, if you want? I think you need to find a person who will, I guess, will give up knowing that they're, they're going to have to spend the majority of their time not in the UK. Okay. I agree. I think, that's, I think that would be key everything. If I had the time to do it again, my suggestion would be, at minimum, you're going away four times a year, that you would go away for a week's camp or a week and a half, two weeks camp somewhere abroad, just to get a two-week burst of hard, hard training with some of the, the best heavyweights you can find. And, I, and we've talked before, it's not about, for me, it's, going to Japan is fantastic, and that, but it's not about being in Japan. For me, it's, it's about being in Germany or Holland or France, just across the water, we can make it so much cheaper. You know, get a group of guys together, stick them in a minibus and drive them to France and stay in Paris for a weekend. Loads of heavyweights there, we fantastic judo. I think it's I think it's Morley. I, I think that you need to just switch and you need to be doing what, maybe seventy percent of the time in, in another country. Just building up that, you know, building up that randori. Uh because that's that you know, we just said bodies is what you know, bodies is what <clears throat> is lacking in this country. <clears throat> we've got very good coaches in this country that can coach technique, um, you know, strength and conditioning, etc. <clears throat> I don't think that's our problem. I think the problem is, you know, randori practices, and you ain't going to get them in this country. Not in, until something significantly changes. The, if we want to, to to produce the next heavyweight, we need to that that individual needs to understand that they're not going to be in this country. And we as association need to understand that that person cannot be in the country. And without that, we need to fund them to be living elsewhere, um, you know, in, in Europe or wherever, you know, they see fit, where it's best for heavyweight, then that's where they need to live. Could it, like, could it be as simple as sending someone to France, which is literally just over the water, and the impression you get is that Judo was thriving there? I think um, I, th- I don't think you have to travel far and wide for it. I think France is an ideal. Me personally, I think France is an ideal scenario. Holland is another high, ideal scenario because yeah. it's, it's, they're they're a, they're a nation of big big people. They have big boys on the training mat all the time. They have big boys in their other clubs, or you know, big big guys is not their problem. Not having big guys is not their problem. You know, so even flying to the Holland National Centre and training in the Dutch National Centre, that needs to be that needs to be, but. Like you say, France for me, the number of bodies in Paris is unbelievable. James. You've, uh, you've James kind of shotgun me. I was, uh, I was, go on, I was going to build up into, um, is France, as soon as Teddy at some point has got to retire, and when he does, is there going to be a whole, not just in world judo, but in French judo, are they going to have someone to step into that spot? Well, they had Dulier before Rinner, but is there ask, someone behind Rinner? I was going to ask you, uh, when, when Lee met, or you, you mentioned France, <clears throat> Name me a, a French heavyweight in plus hundreds. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Not Teddy Ryan. No. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, only, the only other one I could do is, is uh, Bataille, and he's uh, obviously yeah, retired. Uh, and, and was referee, referee now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and then maybe Teddy's dominance <clears throat> might have had a an effect, yeah. an adverse yeah. effect on the plus hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, where you'd you know you'd think that you'd have them queuing up behind him. But remember, you know, I, I remember, you know, they're not filling Grand Prix or any competitions when when Teddy's not fighting. You don't see a a, a, a huge, you know, conveyor belt of plus hundreds, um, you know, fighting in these competitions. I think where you start to see them is in from Russia. There's a there's a you know there's probably five six in Russia. Georgia. Georgia. Georgia there's yeah. probably five or six. You've got the Dutch. They've probably got three. Uh, I know Grohl's coming to the, the you know, he's, he's probably the end of his fighting career. Mayer um, and uh, Spikers, um, the three there. So I think there's other countries um, that are producing <clears throat> big heavy uh, heavyweight players or good heavyweight players. Uh, and it's not just France. I think we've just been blessed with Dulier and Teddy mm-hmm. and, and there's kind of probably been nothing uh, since. Before we before we move on from heavyweight judo, I do want to chat about uh, other things that are going on. Who, if he fingers crossed, the Olympics happens next year, who is winning it at uh, plus hundreds? And uh, I don't want to do a disservice to the women. We've mainly talked about like men's judo. I think a lot of the problems are the same for the women. I think in Britain we've been lucky to have uh, Karina and then Sarah, who are both very an athlete. Karina, yeah, and but Sarah stepped into that role yeah. and you know potentially still developing, but is dominant certainly on the UK scene. Yeah. Um, but I think the challenges are the same for the women. Going back to the Olympics, who's winning? Plus seventy eights, plus hundreds at the games. Either for the woman. Ortiz or is it Asahina that got did she get picked? I think it's Sonny. Sonny, the Sonny? Young, yeah, the younger one, yeah. I think I'm, I'm gonna go with Sonny. <coughs> Sonny with gold. Um I think Ortiz. Just just through just through watching her fight, seeing how she fights. Um, because I've been away with Gabby, I've managed to watch her firsthand and see it's actually for a larger way. So it's amazing how she moves and what she can do. You know what I mean? She can do some really nice judo in the back when she's warming up. She catches her eyes an awful lot on her dropsy and aggie and things like that when she's doing it, and it works really, really well for her. But she's a big, powerful unit as well. Mm-hmm. Big, powerful unit, you know. I didn't realize she is in her own way as successful as Teddy. Oh, you know Jesus. Yeah. yeah, she's. She, Shock! Like she's got so many more world and Olympic medals. She's maybe not been as dominant, you know. She's maybe not got the number of world titles, but she has ten world medals or something ridiculous like that. She has world titles, Olympic titles. Is she um, not? Is she, is she not as prominent because she's not won? She's not went as long unbeaten. She's been beaten in different smaller hmm. tournaments and different tournaments. Like I think Asahina beat her in Germany or something like that. I that she yeah. beat Asahina in Germany. You know, so she's lost that. So she's not had that. Teddy's legacy is his Olympic legacy and his World Championships and all that, right? But it's also that unbeaten run he went on for all the years. That's his legacy that makes him stand above. I mean, everybody talks about um, your master and his mm-hmm. unbeaten and all the runs, you know what I mean? And all the years that he fought, he was unbeaten. 
Perry then puts himself in that sort of leaky standard of things for, for me and for me in my opinion anyway, you know. Totally. But if you were to look across men's and women's categories for the last 10 years, maybe a little bit longer, maybe going into the last decade, I only know this because I was doing my research for the, <laughs> all the different polls. Yeah. Do you know which athlete is by far and away yeah, the next most consistent? Ooh, Ortiz. She's miles ahead of everybody else. So is it, is, it a case of, is it a case of a double standard that some people just think that women's judo is a bit easier? But she doesn't get, I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying it is, I don't think it is. I've seen how much I girls I hope, I hope everybody heard that, that's uh, at Big Lee, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sticking up for them, I'm sticking up for them. But, I don't know, I think it's, I think you're right, I think she's not, she hasn't been as dominant. She's been there or thereabouts for such a long period, but she hasn't been the out-and-out number one. Um, like, she's not... You don't think of her in the same breath as you talk about Clarice at 63s, who's yeah. had four or five years of dominance. Or Lucy Dacosse. Dacosse, yeah. You know what I mean? They, they kind of... They kind of um, like, yeah. But in terms of longevity, yeah, top two or three, yeah. and this, this really surprised me, she is out and out, yeah. one literally half a step behind Rinner. Yeah. Picks the right competitions to fight as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's that longevity piece and, um, <clears throat> you know, she's managed to stay, um, you know, within every podium, I think, or a majority of every podium that she's fought in. Um, and I don't think she's picked up a nasty injury along the way. Um, I can't remember being out for a long period of time. Um, but no, she is a um, yeah. She's she's dominant in that in that way. But I think that that I think Sonny does does pip her to the Olympic gold, and also the uh, is it the French? Yeah, um, I was going to say I'm going to throw a third name in there. The young oh, one, Dicko, Roman Dicko, Romain yeah. Dicko, the big yeah. tall one. Uh, yeah. No, no, the other one. The she's, other one. She's junior European, senior European champion. Is that right? Yeah. Did Sarah fight her at Paris this year? Is that the one that Sarah fought at Paris this year? There? No, that's the other one. I think. I think she's only just come back from like a long-term injury. Right. Who have you got? Yeah. Um. I'm gonna go. I've got two in mind. At, you know, I would like to see Teddy uh, win. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he, I think he, I think he possibly will win. Um, I think that maybe that loss has probably done him, done him, um, probably done him a, a bit of a favour, kind of getting that off his, um, nobody likes to lose, but, um, you know, probably losing before the Olympics is probably, I don't know, either waking him up a little bit to sharpen up and because and, I think he was too heavy. I think he was too heavy when he fought last um, and his mobility wasn't wasn't as, as great as uh, as it, had, it could be. But um, I remember watching, before I came on, I was watching a video of his, um, of his best uh, Ippons. And because he's, again, longevity in that weight category, you're kind of going back on the last couple of years where, you know, he hasn't been as dominant with his throwing. But when you start going back, you know, a bit further and you start to see some of the throws that he was pulling off as a plus 100, you're thinking, what, you know, what a, what a guy yeah. that way. 
I think you, yeah, you you can't really look past Teddy. Um, there's a lot of people saying that the the loss will probably do him some good. Um, I think it'll be Kapalek who pushes him. I think I've said this 400 times on the podcast now. He's my yeah. favourite player. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I, Were you I disappointed? Think... Were you disappointed with the... Yeah, they fought twice, haven't they? Is that right? They fought twice. Yeah. The second time they fought, when Teddy just gripped him up and it wasn't yeah. even a fight. Yeah. yeah. And I think I don't know if that's... I, I think we saw it against um, Turkish, uh, the, the Georgian. Mm-hmm. Where the first match, it was kind of it felt new to him, and you know there was he was nearly getting caught, or he looked a little bit uh, under pressure. It seems like the second fight, when he when he gets hold of them, he know he basically knows what he's going to do, and he knows he knows what they're going to do, and he seems to have sussed them out. And the second yeah. fight, he always looks a bit more in control. Mm. It's almost like he takes a fight to understand them, and then sort of breaks it down after that. Knows what he do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But why? Oh, what do you think? Yeah, I don't okay. know. Very dynamic, very dynamic. Um, I don't know if he's he's yeah, he's kind of like my wild card, especially with this extra time on 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 his hands. I guess that you know he's going to get another what nine nine months, mm-hmm. eight nine months. I'm sticking with Teddy. I'm sticking with Teddy. I think Teddy will work. I yeah, think, yeah, I do. I think I think if he, he gets to the right weight, I think if he if he gets in around that one thirty, one thirty five, one forty, he'll be. Um, that's where he needs to be. It's funny I, because he's got an entourage that follows him when he goes when he was in when he's in when we're in when we're in Paris and you're at the back of Paris and Teddy comes in, he steps on the mat and even the, even the top players in the world go. Teddy's here, Teddy's here. Everybody goes a bit quiet, you know. But he's got camera crews following him about. That must, that must add so much pressure. That must add so much pressure on him. You know? Did he give you the big? Did he give you the big man look, Lee, when you saw you? No, I just, I just had my corner when I saw you. Yeah, I tell you what, he's a big guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, know about, you know about the big guy look, James? I'm clearly not big enough to know that. No, you're not big enough. Mate. <laughs> it's like a universal code, like when you see another big guy. Yeah. Can I look at him going, right, yeah? That's, <laughs> that's when you know you've made it into the big man club. Rick, okay, oh, well, you've given me a goal for this next, for quarantine. You know, you've given me a, a target to, to get to. Uh, Listen, you'll do that and come November, you'll be like, I need to wait to make the British this year. I need to <laughs> when they scowl at you and get, like look down at you, like going, that's when you know you're not, you're not, no, you're, not, you're, not you're not big enough, mate. <laughs> No, nah, I do. I think. I think. I think Ian's right. I think that if if Teddy comes in, we wait a little bit later, a bit more dynamic. Um, I don't think he was unfit. I just think people are just. He's the guy that everybody wants to be. He's the guy that's got the target on his back. Every category and everywhere, there's great players in every category, but he's the guy that everybody's studying back home. Every coach is looking at him that teaches up heavyweight, that fights at that division, that fights at that level. Go right. How do I beat Teddy? How do we? We can make our name on beating Teddy. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that's what it comes down to. I mean, you, it's it's good to get to be the number one, but the number one has to keep revolving and developing and keep moving forward because once you stagnate, everybody susses you out, and then that's you're done. You finished the number one. You have to keep re- revolving round. I'm. I think. I think opposite to you guys. I think he is going to come in. His weight will be about the same, and he's not going to be dynamic. He's going to be 
he's going to do what he does best. He's going to grip people up and he's going to make them look terrible. And people will go, oh, he's so boring. He's, why doesn't he attack? Why doesn't he do this? And then you go, oh, actually, he's so good at this. He doesn't need to do any of that. <laughs> so when he does that, that's when he looks like he's at risk. When he fought Tushishvili, when he's trying to be a little bit dynamic, when he's trying to keep up with the new guys, that's when he looks in trouble. He fought Kapalik. He's trying to make a statement. Looked in trouble. So yeah. can I ask you a quick question? What's, what's the difference between Teddy now mm-hmm. and Teddy when he was training under Darcel or training with Darcel? Because when he was training under Darcel, when I watched him, when Darcel was training him, he was more he was more dynamic. He had more no more motivation, but he had more tools to catch people on. He had more ways of catching them. He had more, you know. Maybe maybe in the so it's again it's the it's the same situation as it was then. Like in the the qualifying events in, and I'm not talking, I'm not talking the the major championships. I'm just talking about the World Cups or Super World Cups. I've forgotten what they're called now. The Grand Slams, the Grand Prix. Like he he's good. He takes he takes risks. He tries to throw. When you watch him at those major championships, at Worlds and Olympics, he just stops all that. He doesn't take chances. He does just enough. Not just enough. He does what it takes to win. I, 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 and I, see what, that, I see where you're coming from, James, yeah. But, yeah, but I, don't think, I don't think his style, he picks up too many penalties like that. And that's when he then, yeah. he then has to start, you know, if someone could get, and now it's only, it's only two Shidos now. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, that, and then you're very close to being disqualified and, then, and they're not afraid to disqualify. Um, I think that, you know, if he, if he if he hasn't got that arsenal of throwing with him, I think he's going to run the risk of someone being a little bit smarter than him. And um, it, it and would, it would be a brave referee <laughs> to disqualify Teddy Rinner at the <laughs> Olympic Games in the final. In the final. Jake, <laughs> <laughs> no. I reckon you would do it definitely. Definitely, you would do it. I'd fancy my chances. I reckon. <laughs> I just think. I just think. Also. He's not really fought a lot lately. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that, again, we, we talked about that earlier, but we would want heavyweights to be abroad to get you know, heavyweights as much as possible. Yeah. If you watch his training videos, when he trains and he's fighting, he's fighting guys who are a lot smaller than him that are running mm-hmm. about, all over the place from. So he's having to grind them down and pull them down. He's, it's, a learned, it's a learned task, isn't it? Holding them yeah. down like that. So is it a case that his, his personal life and his, his sponsors have, have taken that much a toll on him that it's taken him that way from taking him away from the mat for that long that he's had to he's changed as a player and he needs to go back to spending more time on the mat heading up to the Olympics and things like that to get back to where he was before or is it or is it the added pressure of the third Olympic title equal Nomura on the third Olympic title I mean that's he said for years and years from reports I've read and statements I've read from. That's the reason he's not went to other sports. He's had offers to go to other sports, mm. but he's never went because he wants that third Olympic title. You know, so it's the pressure and the financial pressure and the burden because he's sponsors, because of what it means to him. Does that play that massive a toll that it changes his mindset on how he has to do things and what has to be done? So don't take the risks anymore because you take a risk, you're going to be thrown. If I don't take the risk and I catch him only when it's time, then it's a case of that. Talk about sponsors, Lee. You would turn your black on judo for a Giacomo sponsorship, wouldn't you? Uh, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I would bring out my own. Freddie Flintoff has got his own line. I would bring out my own Lee Calder line. 
If you guys have got a connection, I'm looking for a sponsor for the podcast. I'd take Giacomo every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Only if we can work. We can make it work. But <laughs> you mentioned probably one of the one of the best plus seventy eight um, fighters that has lived has has come from Great Britain, and that is Karina as well. When you look at her, you know what she's won and what she's done is is remarkable, unbelievable. Um, and underrated, she she never yeah, got yeah. the adulation that she probably deserved to get. Yeah. And longevity, longevity again. as well. Longevity, yeah. junior world champion, European champion, multiple uh, seven seven world senior world championships medal, seven Olympic bronze medal, European champion, multiple European medalist. That is a, a you know a, again longevity, and this is what I was saying that if you can if you can stick with it. I think that um, you know we, we'll be able to find someone or someone to stick with it. Should I say? Yeah. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. So, um, while all this is going on, I'm, uh, this is definitely coming out about six months after it's finished. Um, but at the moment, we are running the like judoka of the decade, pound for pound king. Women's is coming up next week, but pound for pound king is going on at the moment. And currently, uh, I think I think we're looking at Iliadis is going to just pip Rinna. I think uh, Kerpalex is just going to pip Kim, and probably it's going to be an Oh no, I'm I'm calling an Oh no Iliadis final. Who did you guys call? Who did you guys pick from each group? I picked um, Teddy from that group. I picked Teddy. I picked Anyone heavy? Anyone heavy? Anyone heavy? Heaviest person? Yeah. You just give me the nod. You give me the nod. <laughs> I just picked on through through Twitter. Would you believe it? Um, Ono, Ono for me. Um, yeah. Just yeah, just out of this world for me. Um, was it his last World Championships? But he just looked like he was playing on the mat, basically. Um, but just from you know from the last ten years, he's just been a, incredible to watch. He just looks um, like a guy who's comfortable on the mat on him all the time. He mm. just looks comfortable. I watched a training video of him training with, oh, who was it? It was someone I fight with. A recent, I'm not very good with all the names and all that, right? Recent, I could tell you, right? But he was training with somebody that's at his level and competing with him like, at the same level. And he was just, he sort of threw him about and discarded him. Yeah. It was he just sort of threw him. It's the 66 kilo boy. It's, uh, is it Mario or something like that? Yeah, he's just playing and he him. treats him like a child. <laughs> just yeah. like, yeah, just run on. and it's just he looks so comfortable on the mat. He just looks like that's his place. That's his. That's his life. That's just what he is, you know. Mm. So for I picked Ono as well for that one. Who did you pick another one, Jim? The group C was it uh, Takato, Abenuma, Abby, and Lipitiani? Yeah. Takato for me. I picked Abby. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Again, you, you, you're both yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you saying? Uh, Eben Uma, definitely. And uh, my 20 Twitter accounts all voted for Eben Uma. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. That'll, uh, be the, that'll be the 9%. He's leaving them at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I look, at, I look at those players and a, a little bit like the plus hundreds, it's, it's quite rare to see longevity in that in 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 lower weight categories because it's normally the younger guys are you know chomping at the bit coming through 
Abedouma's been about as two weight categories now, into sixty sixes mm-hmm. and seventy threes. Um, triple, triple world champion at sixty sixes, and that's at the start of the decade, and he's now ten years later. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised how little vote it could be that Ono was in the same category as him, but Xander um, mm-hmm. um, I, I was I was surprised at how little of vote Xander yeah. I actually got. I mean, he was the name on everybody's lips for a long time there. He was the man everybody was watching because of how he flipped off throws and he got off things and that. Well, he's know? changed judo. He's, he's actually yeah. changed judo. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Not in, anyway. heavy, not in the heavyweights, he's not. He's just, <laughs> just That's what Rin has been working on. He's waiting for someone to try and throw him. And... Too fast to watch anyway. Yeah, you can't see it. You can't see it when it happens. Um, right. Anyway, I think that Ono will win it overall. Okay. That's my call for your poll. Ono will win it. He smashed that one. He smashed. He's the only one that's ran away with a category in your four categories. So I think I... we'll smash it overall. Because again... If you're thinking about the modern player or the modern young player who's reading your tweets, yeah. they're only going to know. They're not going to know the longevity. Anti heavyweights, the anti heavyweights who listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you know. Are you telling me this is going to be the lowest listened? If I call it the heavyweight crew or something like that, is this going to get the lowest number of listens? No, no, no. Because I think you've got some personalities here. <laughs> Well, Lee's on. So, yeah, thanks for coming <laughs> on, man. <laughs> Don't try and take This is my second. This is my second. Out of the last seven years, all right? Listen, I've, I've waited years. This is like buses. I've waited years for one to come along and two <laughs> come at the same time. <laughs> well, while, while the big talk's going on, yeah, while I'm listening to all this big talk from you guys, I came down to a handful of heavyweight squads on the promise that there was going to be a Randori review. I'm sure, mate, I'm sure we did have a randori. I'm sure <laughs> we've, we've had one at Rycroft, I know that. Maybe when I was like 12 years old. No, no, no. 12, no. 12 years old, like I still had curtains. Listen. Bleaching my James. hair and curtains. James, James, James. Uh, Ian, Ian McCloy, you made his big toe. What's that big toe, huh? I, I, did actually, I did actually fight him. I think I dropped him for a drop yes, you know. dropped You dropped all your weight on my back and I went... I'm definitely not doing that again. <laughs> not doing that again. It was when, I think it was when you were dabbling. I think you said to me, because, oh, I, I remember it because I remember you going, I think I'm fighting plus, you know that bit where you go, I think I'm fighting plus hundreds at the uh, British Championships. And who are you, James? Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. Can you um, grab a bit of a randori? Um, because you're the biggest guy here, and if you know, if 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 I can handle your handle your weight and power, then I'll go in there a bit more comfortable. <laughs> well, that was the year I went on to fight the British Championships and got that British title. So you uh, did. Uh, so I'm clearly, taking, I'm taking part credit in that. Well, I wiped the floor. No, <laughs> I remember you giving me a shoeing because. Uh, I don't know if did you ever get on with the mat with it on the mat with him, Lee? No, no, left handed. Yeah, is... I know, I know. We've had to play about a couple of things with each other, but we've never. You know how many ones when we used to do the heavyweight program? How many times the heavyweights wanted us to fight each other? It was unbelievable. <laughs> fight, everybody wanted us to fight each other. You and Ian, I'd be a great fight, great. And I was like, shut up, no way, no way. <laughs> we try to pick the big man up. We try to get in clinching with him, man. It's not happening, man. If uh, you, you're lucky, Ian, like if you look back on the pack, podcast, one of my unwritten rules is that there's no left-handers. <laughs> Cheaters, aren't they? They're cheating. <laughs> <laughs> 
Someone said, someone used to say to me, I can't believe it. You write right-handed and you fight left-handed. It's just, <laughs> just embarrassing. Works <laughs> well for you, though. It works well. Right. Before we, uh, before we wrap it up, I want to get on to one James more topic. Runs, James always runs off tangent towards the end of the podcast. You know that? Always runs off a tangent that's wrong. When it <laughs> you know, this, like, like, these famous last words is, now I've lost my track again. As <laughs> <pain>, you know. <laughs> That, that was bored. I don't know which one yet. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about the British Championships before we left. Now, we touched on it before and we talked about uh, what the value is of the British Championships. And I think it's, for me, it's, it's something that's been happening for a long time in that it doesn't, and maybe potentially it's because I'm a little bit older and it doesn't carry the same value just for me personally. But I look at it now and I wonder what the value of the British Championships is to a young player coming through or someone who's part of the squad or lined up for the Olympics or, you know, potentially more so the juniors. The, the British junior squad now is picked way before the British Championships. Or, if you, you know, if you want the anointed one, it's going to be part of the, the centre. Is, is, this a, is it a problem for British judo? Or is yes. it just me? No, I think it's a problem. I think they should all fight it. I think everybody should fight it. It's the British Championships. So to make it, is it a case of making it more worthwhile by offering a tournament on the bucket? Or is it a case of, I don't know, that everybody, well, why, why would the centre guys not be fighting it? Why, why would they not be fighting it? I mean, they were, I think they were away at a training camp this year or something. There was a training camp or something. Mm-hmm. Or, something or somewhere like that. They were away at a training camp. And then the year before, or a couple of years before that, they were just they just weren't they weren't there to fight it. I remember watching I remember coaching Nakoda against Connie, coaching Connie against Nakoda in the final of the British Championships. And what what a fight. What a fight. What do you what do you want to show? Do you want to show your best of your best at the British? You want to see that. You want the people that's what brings people in and makes people attracted to it. You know? Yeah, it keeps a young team. Keeps a young team interested by going, I want to be that player. I, I think you're I think you're right, Lee. If it, at times, it felt like a double junior championships. Mm-hmm. So I remember uh, Sam Hall. I think he won the juniors and he won the seniors uh, one one year. And I think in total, he had something like 16 fights over the weekend. Those 16 fights were, you know, probably doubled up. They were just the same people that he was fighting yeah. in the juniors and the, in, the, in the seniors. And then you would throw some, uh, some of the older guard in there. So as a junior player, I can I can I can see the excitement of fighting it and be, and calling yourself British senior champion. Yeah. But I remember going to British Championships and seeing. I think it was probably the same time that you were you were fighting plus hundreds, like men, men, that full out senior man. I think there was probably yourself, Danny Williams. That was probably about it, really. A tasty, maybe tasty was fighting. No, I don't think he wasn't. Was he fighting? Did he fight him? No. He didn't, he did, this, yeah, he didn't fight the year I fought. Right. Um, Hence why he won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> no word of a lie, definitely. But, that, you know, to me, when you go there and, and, and you, only, you only can really associate two senior seniors, um, men, uh, they're probably a bit different for, for women, you know, does it take? You know, is it should be called the senior British Championships? I don't know. Should we just do away with 
you know, senior and combine junior and senior together and just have a, it's over, over 18s or over 21 or whatever you want to, yeah, over 18, sorry, we'll be over 21s um, and not have a junior events. And that probably goes down to English, Scottish championships, etc. I don't know, Lee, it's what your thoughts on it. What amazes me sometimes is how when you, when you watch a juniors fight and maybe you think, oh, they can do something and then, I mean, that's a, this is a any weight category, and maybe they don't have the best junior, the junior result they want. Maybe they crash out early in a junior by they're caught by somebody or they're thrown by somebody or something's happened and they've been, and they have a terrible junior session, and then that mm-hmm. junior fights senior the next day and beats every senior that is on the map, even though they've been beat the day before by another junior and never got the medal they wanted to become British champion as a senior, but as a junior they've maybe never medaled. So that happens so many times; it's unbelievable. You know, I just don't know why that is. Is it styles? Is it age? Is it youth versus the older player? You know, who the senior, the seniors should be the the hardest fight there is. Senior category should be the hardest fight there is. Knowledge, strength, ability, you know, all that stuff put in together. You know, and and sometimes it's not. Sometimes the juniors are harder to fight than the seniors. Do you think, um, do both of you? Do you think that the EJU ranking list and the world ranking list? have killed the British Championships as well? For, for me, when I was fighting, yeah, it, the British, and potentially this is kind of towards my end of the career, not like now, when I fight it now, yeah. I love it, I enjoy it, I see yeah. it as a challenge, I'm excited, I go and see my friends and then I'm still yeah. measuring myself against the people now. But when I was competing, it was the event that had the most pressure, but with the least kind of... <laughs> reward attached to it do you know yeah. what I mean you're, you're competing against I was I was lucky enough to be number one for a couple of years you know and, and arguably they were I was lucky because you had people like Peter who were injured during that time um, but having that fighting at it at that point knowing that everybody is only really there to ruin your day <laughs> <laughs> very arrogant very like egotistical yeah, yeah. it was the most pressure and I think I did it every year except when I was injured but that's what from getting me on the squad that's what Kieran talked about us in the last podcast when we spoke <laughs> in the last podcast he felt the pressure as a yeah. senior like he's never felt the pressure before like he's never felt the pressure before one the preparation wasn't right but it wasn't just that it wasn't just mm-hmm. that we know it wasn't just that it was this is a senior British champion and you're expected to perform at the senior British championships. Yeah. And in the under hundreds this year, it was actually quite a big category. It was three mm-hmm. pools deep for a change, but it's not normally that amount, you know? So the numbers had changed in that amount, but it was just like the pressure that he felt was unbelievable. And I could see it in him and I could feel it in him and it was just trying to grind the results out, didn't he? And even he admits, he says, I had the worst days due to my life there, but I just had to grind the results out and win it by, by however I had to do it type of thing, you know? But again, he did that. He won all his fights. Never lost the fight, but what does he get? There's nothing at the end of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. And, as a, and as a spectator as well, you want to see some of these matchups. I don't know why. Yeah. You want to see, you want to see the number two versus the number one, or the you know the, the guys that are fighting for something, uh, whether that's a um, you know a place at a. And, and probably now in the girls, you know, you'd be interesting oh. to look at 63s, wouldn't you, and have them all fighting in a... That would know, be 63s, 70s, 57s. 57s. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, You've gone back to when Neil and Sam fought. It was what everybody was waiting for. Yeah, yeah. yeah everybody stopped. I remember that because everybody stopped to watch that match because they were that intrigued in watching it. I remember, you know, you know, going to British Championships, knowing, you know, with a junior fighter who's fighting in seniors, let's go and take some scouts. Let's go and take out, you know, the number two senior, the number one senior, you know, and, and make a statement. And and that's, that, you know, that's when a, when the, the atmosphere feels great and British judo feels great. It's, you know, the only time I feel that British judo feels great is at a national team event at the minute, you know, and, and that was not this team, it was probably a couple of teams ago, but I would love to see those matchups as a, as a, as a fan of British judo. Um, what does it mean at the end? I don't know, because world rankings, world rankings and, uh, you know, supersede everything at the minute. I again, I, I I mentioned it to you, Lee. I ranted on to Tom Reed about the same thing. Um, you know, probably everybody's come on the podcast recently. I've said the same thing to. Mm. I think it'd be easy to add value to it. I really do. <laughs> and I think you you promise people a tournament. And I think more than that, you you make it a big tournament and you only give it to the winner, uh, Paris. Because it's a stage, because it's it doesn't stop you, but it doesn't stop you setting the criteria for other people to qualify for three other things. Yeah. It's just one of the criteria, one of the many criteria that we go. Yeah. You take a larger squad to Paris and Germany, then you mm-hmm. do anywhere else. You know, yeah. you take ones and twos, or you take ones and wherever you want from the center to do these tournaments. Because then, how do they get better? How do how does the rich get richer? They get rich by, you know what I mean? It's, it's your knowledge of. If you never get the chance to fight in these opportunities or go to these opportunities, then you'll never have the knowledge of fighting them. But more than that, I think to some degree, like there's a responsibility potentially to give people the opportunity to have that experience. We're in a sport where 20 people come and watch an event. You know, the crowd is made up of judo players and their families. Yeah. Yeah. We are lucky enough to be 200 miles away from the biggest event in the world. Okay. Paris annual event, you know, and we take a tiny team every year because they're the ones who've got a realistic chance of getting a medal. Yeah. Well, why not give people the opportunity to have that experience? What's the, what do you think the cost is? Are you saying self-fund it or are we going to pay for it? Yeah, give them the spot. Say you have the opportunity to self-fund Paris. It's the closest event. It's going to be the cheapest to get to. Mm. Yeah, your family and friends can all come to it. Yeah. Yeah, you're competing in front of 10,000 people. It has some implications for maybe an Olympic qualification, but only in that it forces everybody who's not certain of getting that second spot at Paris, it forces everybody to fight the British Championships. Yeah. And if you don't win the British, it doesn't affect any of the other tournaments. Yeah. Everybody else can still be pre-selected for Dusseldorf, for Japan, for Russia, for Brazil. But Paris itself... You know, it's an ex- it's not just an event; it's an experience for people. And it, doesn't, think... it doesn't even have to be that expensive to go to Paris, mm-hmm. even as a team. Like we said, there's a minibus at Walsall. You drive down to Walsall, yeah. everybody gets in the minibus, you cross the ferry, you're, you're heading to Paris. You know, so you can make it as cheap as chips for everybody to go. It doesn't have to be a big expensive thing to do and go. But if you if you don't want to take that cost on, asking people to self fund Paris is a feasible yeah. thing to do. And some yeah. people will say no. But other people will go, wow, this is an opportunity to fight in front of 10,000 people. And then also you've represented your country. At, yeah. You know what I mean? The, sorry. 
who takes responsibility for those athletes going? How does it work when people self-fund anyway? Take their personal coach or, or a coach. Well, they don't have to. They don't have to. Don't have can, to the, GB, the GB coaches will, take, will pick them up or take them up if they... If they There's if criteria they in place that kind of this could fit into easily already. It just adds value to the British. Yeah. But aside from that, could you add value just by adding a gimmick? So the US this year, I think, um, like created a UFC style, boxing style belt that their champions all had for the weight category. It's a that little bit more than that. That's where Giacomo comes in. That's where the <laughs> six people to carry that in, will you? <laughs> like a conga line. I want a spinner. <laughs> I want one of these spinning belts, the ones where you spin the wee gold bit in the middle. I want a spinner in that. <laughs> but he, why isn't there a backpatch? Why hasn't someone given you a, a, a whole nation's title backpatch or something yeah. like that? And you can only why, wear why it is, in the UK. Why is there something. no cap? Why, why is there no sort of cap? Yeah, yeah. Uh, why is there no? You fight for, if you play football for Scotland, England, Ireland, and Wales, you get a cap. Everybody gets a cap every time mm-hmm. they play. Why is there no back patch or patch to say you have represented Great Britain at a, a level, you know? You don't even get the flag anymore. No, I know. There was a time when you, you got the envelope and in the envelope was your flag. Yeah. Yeah. Now you can just get one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think even, even like you say, like a gimmick, I was at Walsall for a training session, ONST, and there was a BJJ tournament going on called Naga. Have you heard the Naga? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Naga. And it's, it's quite a big tournament, I believe, abroad especially in America. It's massive. And I went in, and there was maybe four and five, maybe six people in a category, but there were so many different categories. There was beginner, intermediate, advanced, and the elite or something like that. But everybody, everybody walked out with a massive WWE-style belt. Big belt, screw <laughs> over the shoulder. Not, not just this wee gold medal and that. But this big, massive belt. Of it. So if they can do it, I don't see why anybody else can't do it. I don't see why it can't be done by other people. I don't think, it, I don't think it, the gimmick thing sounds, it sounds pretty cool, but when was the last time that the British Championships was covered really well in any sort of journalism, uh, website coverage, um, write-up? Um, you know, it, it's, not, it's not made to feel great within this country. You know, why is it not... Why you're not there, James, doing a live broadcast uh, podcast, you know. To, there you go. At the, at the biggest event of what should be the biggest event of, of, of our calendar. And we make yeah. something a, a bit special about it. Then you tie in your, your you know, your potential um, uh, opportunity to represent your country as, as, as British champion. And then you start to get a bit more interesting people fighting it. Is there anybody, does there anybody commentate on the British? There's nobody commentates on the British, is there? This is a live feeder, just a plain live feeder. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, so why is there not even like a couple of commentators? I remember when someone tried to do a radio coverage. Really? Yeah. I think that was Lance. Oh, seriously? Yeah, he did some judo coverage um, on the radio, which that's quite bizarre um, for, for judo sports. But remember when we done, remember when the school games was on and um, there was a live. I know the school games was only one match; it was easier to do. But there was a live commentary feed from that as well. There was a video feed and a live commentary feed for that as well. Who was it that did it again? Um, Dermot. 
Dermot done oh, it. it? Yeah, and he done a live. He done a live commentary of all the what was going on, who was fighting, what was happening, who was what, what was what, and everything like that. You know, so you could have another. You could have. You could do that, James. You'd be ideal with that. You know what I mean? Do you know like, what this guy that's coming I... on? I know his face, but I don't know his name. So <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll volunteer myself and Reese to do that if it's on this year. Um, yeah. I will. Reese. Reese can man. Reese can man it. And yeah. in between matches, when I'm fighting, <laughs> I'll, I'll come and just give some chat. Because so there's a pod cla- podcast exclusive that James Gosling <laughs> is fighting British Championships on a wild card once again. This year. <laughs> 90 kilos, yeah. They're definitely doing 90 kilos this year. Yeah, How much have you got to cut? Weeks. Oh, it's a three weeks away, 102 kilos. You're doing 90 kilos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, it's fine. It's fine. And you see him and he's like, ah. Do you, you know like, what I got down to? Do you know what I got down to? I got down to like 91 kilos. And I yeah, didn't yeah. make weight. I was like, did like, you make weight? Did you make weight? No, I didn't make weight. I'm fighting with 100. I think it was Nick. I think Nick, uh, Nick Hawk was telling me uh, that he turned up at Rycroft at like night, like the, the, the Monday before the British Championship. <laughs> all like, it was spawning with like 91. It was all looking good. And then something happened. I don't know what happened, but. That was my. You <laughs> <laughs> bumped into a kebab shop on the way home. <laughs> oh, wait. It's, um, I'm not getting the big man nod yet, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm on my way. It's, it's not going to be long. So how long, how long long will you continue to fight the British Championships, Bob James? How long? Um, I've always said until I stop qualifying. So you stop like, meddling? Basically, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I've not. You'll not be in the quali- I'll tell you now, you'll be in that qualification piece for the next fifteen years. Well, I thought to be fair because I didn't fight last year. I thought this might be the year that I don't do it because, um, the, yeah, my girls were sick last year, so I decided not to come in the morning. I'd be, I'd coach there on the juniors, and I thought, ah, maybe this will be it. And I thought will I have to do like a Welsh Open or an English Open or something to qualify? Then you just make the call. Here's go, James Austin, 2012 Olympian, get me in. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to try. I was going to say, I was going to try that. <laughs> if I didn't make it, I'm going to try that. At some point, that will run out. It might have run out a lot. It might have run out like seven years ago already. <laughs> you know, so. Um, off Games. Say again. Commonwealth Games. I am 37 years old. But that's not that's a no. Yes. That's, that's a yes. Nah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I you say that to me all the time. Just sure. Why did you not do the Commonwealth Games? Because I was 37 years old. You would have smashed it. <laughs> ah, it's one of them. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you guys still get it, but I still have moments where I'm on the mat and I'm like oh yeah I'm, I can do this I can definitely do this and then the next week my knee is like a balloon or I, you know I'm yeah I'm I'm hobbling for a month based off one training session where I've done one randori <laughs> <laughs> you go I've got oh yeah I've got two little kids and you think I like playing my four-year-old oh I can't really run around the garden for a month do you know it's just yeah I tell you what, I um, I, I did. I, I went to an ON, ONST and had a really good ONST weekend. Where you think, God, yeah, I've still got a bit of this. I was thinking, yeah, I got back home, said to the wife, I've still got something burning. 
I've got something inside me. I need to do a competition. <laughs> so I just fucking entered the British Open. <laughs> I don't know why. I entered the British Open and then I just thought in the first fight getting gripped up. I was like, what are you doing here? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, but it was a pretty successful day. I think I came fifth. I was all right. It was just quite a good day. <laughs> nice. For about two weeks, Randori. Um, it was, Clem- I think, Clempner uh, gave me a bit of a shoeing. <laughs> that boy could throw. Um, but yeah, he gave me a... Oh, yeah. He was British number one, I think, at the time. Um, There's yeah. another question, then. There's another question. So what happens to these heavyweights? We do have good heavyweights. Mm-hmm. Oh, know. yeah. What happens to them? Clempner's away doing sambo on that now. He's doing that combat sa- last time I saw. He's away doing combat, sam- combat sambo where he's getting a fight and doing judo at the same time. You know, you're getting punched mm-hmm. people in the head and throw them about all over the place. But mm-hmm. then why do we lose them? Why do we lose them? I mean, that's that's another question that has to be asked. We get the ones coming through and they get up to a certain level and then all of a sudden they just disappear off the yeah. planet. We don't see them again. Yeah. Remember Richard, Richard Blanis, Lee? Yes. He was a big unit, wasn't he? Yeah, but there's loads, there's loads. You, you look at, uh, you know what, there's something that we've not spoke about that, that James spoke about in the last podcast that we done with him was how the aggressiveness is brought, it's still, the, the fire inside a heavyweight sometimes is still down for aggressiveness yeah. because you're not allowed to fight, you're not allowed to throw hard, you're not allowed to, you can't go after people, you can't, because you're frowned upon, it's, it's frowned upon. Like you say, Tasty's biggest success was, he was tasty. He was ready to take anybody's head off. Doesn't matter who you were. He would want to take your head off on a mat, you know. Yeah, no respect I, for I always remember walking into a British Championships once, right, and there was the smallest warm-up area I've ever seen, and and taking up the, this warm-up was about five heavyweights. Um, it would have fit probably seventy normal-sized people on it. <laughs> there four or five heavyweights on there. Uh, Daz Clark. Uh, Oh. Uh, Stillwell, yeah, uh, Rob Stillwell, Jesus, Clark, uh, another Clark, um, and they're just basically they had the legs out, pretending they were stretching, and um, I walked past them and thinking, why are they so pally? I want to take your head off, and but it was just that kind of British judo heavyweight kind of mentality, which is all high fiving, um, you know, wanting to to hug each other, you know. My, I've got a good friend called Phil Nutter, who is a very close friend of mine now. But when we were fighting, we hated each other. We absolutely despised each other. And actually, it was quite interesting because, you know, uh, he was he was quite pally with Peter Cousins. I was quite pally with Tom Cousins. But we'd never go next to him. We'd never go anywhere near each other because we despised each other fighting. And then later on, you know, after that, we became very good, very good friends. Um but I think it is this point where you need to you need to have Randori partners, so you can't be the 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 the, the arrogant, horrible one because you need partners to train with, and, and and there's not many of you. So I think they then the kind of blurred friendship and 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 judo it got a bit too close, and that's when that hardness kind of is missing. Tasty didn't care about if you know you liked him or not; he just wanted to have an absolute rook with you. Um, Many, many times chasing me around a Randori mat, um, you know, trying to get a practice with me, uh, especially if you've thrown him in Randori. He always wants to, to come back after you 20 times harder. So, the, the, the day of the heavyweight being the day you're looking at heavyweights and going, I wouldn't fight, I'm not fighting him, I don't want to fight him, he just, just wants to rip your head off. That's gone, that's that's gone, it's been gone a while now. Yeah, you know? yeah, heavyweights are, are they, like James says. 
not that I'm throwing James under the bus here, like, but they are softer. They're softer now than they used to be, you know? They're not. But that, that's because tra- we talked about it last time. They're, they're yeah. trained, trained to be soft. Yeah, they're like, told not to throw hard. Take it easy. We talked yeah, about it. Look after, oh, look after this. You're a big guy. Don't use your strength. Yeah. Don't use. Don't use your strength. This is every other weight category is going as, and for you guys as heavyweights, and again towards the end of my career, people are going berserk trying to beat you up, and you're going, oh, "I'll just be gentle. I'm going to look after these guys." Da, 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 da. Everything- Head Teddy's back home benching 180 kilos off a bottle of barbell. You're and looking at like, take it easy, take it easy. Just put them down gently. Don't throw them too hard, you know? So. But you, you said it when we talked last time. It's if you, can, if you can instill the technique in those guys, you and can then make it safe for them to go, okay, now I can be strong. Look, I'm, I'm doing this for the camera. Gripping. Yeah. Well, before there was a camera, I wouldn't be. I'd still be yeah. doing this, but there was no one. If you're watching it. the podcast right now, James is gripping the person really tight around the head. So, <laughs> but not sleeving lapel. He's went double lapel as per usual. Double lapel. <laughs> but, but Ian, 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 you can answer this, right? Is there anybody more aware of your size than you when you're training or doing anything? Is there anybody more aware? When I'm talking about, I'm talking about like they, they tell you to be careful with this player and be careful. There's no, there was nobody more aware of me being a hundred odd kilos than me myself. I know what damage I could do if I landed on somebody wrong. I know what I could do, you know, if I did it. It was a little, it was a little bit different for me because I was, t- I was, and it probably came a little bit. It came, it probably came a little bit late. But I had coaches who would say to me, "When you go around the country doing your randori practice, make sure no matter what size they are, you smash them over." And that was instilled in me for a long time. But it was only probably uh, latter part of cadets, um, latter part of cadets and juniors, uh, where I was told to do that. Uh, but in a club, um, you know, because I wasn't always, I, I used to fight under hundreds for a while. Um, so I wasn't big, big, big. It was only when I got injured where I started to, to put a bit more weight on. Um but I was just told, yeah, whichever club you go and visit, um, you know, you 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 make sure you know that you you, they, you visited their club, and I think that was that got instilled from from Brian Moore um, and, and Billy. Yeah. Billy Sat would tell me, you know, when you go to a, a go to another club, you make sure that you um, you know you you, you, let, you let them know that you're there, basically. So now I'm a little bit more aware, Lee. Yeah, definitely because. Um, I knock into a couple of kids on every judo session. It just turning around, I'll take three or four out. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like a ship turning in the sea. <laughs> That's what I'm like. But does Pitching that does it does it play on your mind? Do you worry about hurting people? Um, no, because I I never worried about hurting people. I don't think I worried about hurting people, but. I think I could move my body for a big guy at my weight. I could actually move a bit. I was actually a bit, not dynamic, because I don't think I was ever the most dynamic person in the world. But I trained really, really hard. Or I'd like to think I trained really, really hard. You know, I'd like to think that I put as much in it as I possibly could. Um, and that was, that was enough to sort of see you through. Probably for me, I probably started competing way too old and way too late. If I'd done it when I was younger, really, really young. Because I'd done judo when I was young and then stopped doing judo and then, like I said in the last one, and then came back to judo again and decided, nah, I prefer the coaching side of it type of thing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Ian's, Ian's been on a diet lately, as you can see. He's really faded away. <laughs> he's just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, he's literally disappeared. There's lights away there and everything. <laughs> he's just fused his ears. But, <laughs> man. You've told that long, I've got to plug my bloody laptop in. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I think, uh, I get where you're coming from, but I don't think I was ever worried about hurting people. I don't know what, James, I'll say that I did have all right technique, I knew how to throw. Mm-hmm. I wasn't dangerous in any sort of throwing. I, you know, I, could, I knew how to execute a throw very well. Um, so it wasn't like it was an awful... Um, clumsy technique that you do I always used to like to throw clean so I always knew that if you could if you could throw well you probably weren't gonna you weren't gonna hurt them it was the more the kumikata and the gripping that was the um you know hurting people snapping a grip off back in the day and taking a couple of fingers with you maybe maybe that maybe it's the wrong question maybe it was did you not want to use your strength when you were training like, cause I, I certainly know that if I was going on against the lighter guys, I would try and match them for speed or for something. Yeah. Try not to be a hundred kilos. I'd try and be a tall 66. <laughs> yeah. I used to get, I used to get my, you know, my coach, my old club coach, Tony Shaw. He would say to me, if I ever thought, you know, cause there's only, I was the biggest guy in the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had people like Nick who were, you know, next biggest, et cetera. Uh, and it, but any time that I was fighting a lightweight, he would say to me, look, don't use your strength. Just use your, you know, use your, your, your speed, use your footwork, etc. Try and match their pace, but don't use your strength. Now, imagine that you're the only heavyweight in a club and you're always told that is match them to speed, you know, match with your footwork, etc. It's going to help. It's going to help you with your judo. But what it doesn't do, it doesn't help you with your strength. You don't get to feel what another heavyweight player feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, <clears throat> and where I found myself is, the session would go away from me because there were some things that I just couldn't do. So, you know, if you had a coach that only wanted to drop, uh, teach you uh, drop C and Aggie, and that was the, the technique he was teaching you on that session, that's a technique. That's not good enough technique for me because I'm I'm tall and I'm big. And actually, trying to do it on someone who is far shorter than you is it, it's going to be a challenge. So it doesn't become an, it doesn't become an enjoyable session. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm no, the same, totally. I'm the exact same as well. My coach, my coach originally, my original coach, where we come from, was a non-competitive club anyway, and that was always his work. And do you know what? I I appreciate what he says to me and how he said it and what he what his sentiments were that you don't want people to look at you and go, wow, he's just a big guy. He can just throw people. You want people to look at you and go, he can do judo and he's strong, but he's skillful. He's a good judo player and he's strong. You don't want people to go, check how strong he is. That gets him through the judo, you know, and that's how it was put across to me. So again, same as Ian, the same as what I talked about Michelle and that, when when she came from a different club, which was a less um, competitive club than ours were, Mm-hmm. She would throw people in at the last, when they come over the hips, she would always hold on to them and lay them down gently. And I'm going, no, this is nagging. You have to be throwing. You have to learn how to complete yeah. the throw because you're going to do that in contests. It's what you've learned. You know, it's always go back to that. And I believe that the, the first stage that you're taught, that's always your fight or flight response. When, the, when, you're, when your back's against the wall in a fight in a contest and you're feeling that, yeah, I can't yeah. do this, I can't. You always fall back to what you were taught at the beginning. Whether it was a drop, see, a nag, a tie, a toss, you're, 
you always stick one of them in because that's your most confident technical ability that you were ever taught. So I think it's key what you're taught at the very beginning continues right through as well and brings you right through. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Definitely. Agreed. Right, guys, thanks so much for your time. I'm going to call it there because... Um, that's yeah, too long. I think... Too long. Oh, Jesus Christ. And 25, minutes, 25 minutes of podcast and two hours of chat. <laughs> Austin, and, Ian's lost his power. Where, where does this where does this ranking podcast? We've been doing it now for I don't know six years. It's probably got is it three years, is it? Three years, three years, three years, and thirteen followers. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> if I'm lucky, I'm and that's only. Me, by the way, ten of the followers only come after I've done my last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So where do we, where do we rank in uh, in conversation? Is it was it an enjoyable conversation? <laughs> it's been a good one. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. I do do appreciate it. I did um, after all the, the 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 chat we'd had at the start, and then we started the podcast, and uh, you became the most serious guy in the world. You were like, um, well, who's that me? Yeah, for about the, for about the first ten minutes, and I was like, oh. <laughs> so he did. I tried to keep it as real as I kept it before. So I was trying to keep it as real as it was. Ian, he's saying that you're pretentious. I don't know if that's <laughs> what he meant, but he was trying to say you're a bit pretentious, big man. He cracked. Yeah. He did. He did crack quite soon. He wasn't able to keep the. the he got in the rhythm. He got in the flow, and he got in the rhythm. Is that what you're saying? After the ten minutes, he seemed to be a bit better. Yeah, I just wanted to feel it out. I was like, you know, is, is James really intelligent or is he flying by the seat of his pants? So Second I thought one. that I would, you know, because <laughs> the, most intelligent, the most intelligent listener would only listen for the first 10 minutes and then switch it off. So <laughs> if I could be intelligent for 10 minutes, then I'm done. And then, um, you know, we'll... Uh, Especially with the length of this podcast. It's, it's, a, marathon. it's, it's a marathon, it's not a podcast. You know, it's like, but you need to cut this down so much, it's unbelievable. Not at all. Someone, someone's gonna, you know, be doing a quarantine run, doing laps in the garden. <laughs> four hours. This is gonna be perfect for them. Hey guys, if you want to get that five k done, we've got the perfect podcast for you. Just as you go, five k in the two, the two hours is taking us to talk about all the rubbish that goes on in the world. Um, if if the if guys want to follow you though, if they want to find out a little bit more about what you're doing in judo, where are you on social media? Look at that. That's efficiency, dragging it back to where we should be. Yeah, it's very good. Instagram, Instagram for me and Facebook, um, Ian Oliver, or uh, Instagram's Ian OL58VR, I think it is. Nice. Um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Be back. TikTok. <laughs> I've not done a TikTok. I've not done one. I've done a recent one, but I've not done one. Um, I mean, it's just Big Lee 101 or at the Judo Club of Spree Sites, wherever. Wherever it wants, or judo oh, awesome. it just depends on what one you look at, type of thing, you know. I'll just go to local five guys, and that's where we'll be hanging about. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mandos or five guys, they'd, they'd be fantastic sponsors for the the, the this, this episode, this, this, any this episode, episode. Anything, anything at all. Mandos, Mandos would be fantastic, or five guys would be fantastic. Well, again, if you've got those links, um. <laughs> so what would you um, want? What do you need at a sponsor? What do you need at a sponsor? Cash money. <laughs> money. So um yeah, I don't know. I what yeah. You, I, think of it, you can't ask for a sponsor and then not have uh, an answer to say, well what what are you gonna what like, what do you want? What do you need? Have Patreon? I have I've been looking at Patreon. I've been yeah, looking at Patreon. I mean, because 
someone who's a, a valid podcast listener paying you know it, it's a free it's a free service that you're doing to make more if you you know to make more content especially judo content you know the judo judo family would i, I know i would anyway so listen listen james wants sponsored by Tui, so he can get his sail away across to um, the bahamas <laughs> Comment on uh, and show a podcast from whatever competition there is anywhere in the world, Japan, Germany. In fact, James has volunteered to do the commentary on the, after the British Championships this year and you get to go to Paris. He's oh. volunteered to go to Paris to do the commentary on behalf of British judo. James, I reckon I can get you that gig. I reckon I could get you that commentary gig. Do you know what? Genuinely, I'll, I'll be up for that. I'll be, yeah, if you can. <laughs> anyway, let's finish the podcast and let's carry on this chat. <laughs> okay. Guys, thanks. So, ah, Ian, uh, not the league. Before you go, thank you very much for the opening credits for the. the like that. I did. It was good. I noticed you've been doing a bit of your art as well. I'm gonna, again, yeah, ten, yeah. ten more minutes of podcast is going on. Yeah, here. yeah. I enjoy. It. It's, it's, it's something I've, I've not done drawing for years. I'm not a great drawer. I like to copy things. And what I found I really enjoy doing now is is using my computer and projecting a picture onto a onto a board and just like drawing it with a pencil and then coloring it in and filling it on. And I just thought. In this time, I've got time to do it. Why not do it now, you know? And i just done a couple of things. And, the, like, one of the girls for the judo's taking the kind of gala wave that I'd done. And my, my daughter took my... I'd done this lips one for her, and she took that and put her on the wall. I didn't think they were that good, but she was like, no, it's fantastic. I was like, all right, go on then, crack on. All right, Tony. I've been building up to this. He's a martial artist. <laughs> <Hey>! <laughs> That's the only only joke I wanted to get in the whole. Uh, one one mojito, one mojito, and <laughs> look at him now. So pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Great chatting to you. I hope you guys would uh, come back on again some point. Um, yeah. I'll catch you soon. Bye bye.